Bread comes in many different varieties, but the only bread that nourishes our souls, hearts, and lives is Jesus Christ. Bread of Life is sponsored by the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. You can contact us by calling us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Join us now for the Bread of Life. Here's Joel Van Hoogen. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, the Lord Jesus tells a parable in which he reveals God's plan for us and what is to be the expectation of everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. This parable also reveals fallen man's problem with God. God's plan is to bring us into a feast of unending blessing. And let me say, Christian, you should expect this and seek this, the feast that God would give you if you would seek him for it. Man's major problem? Here it is. Lost man, surprisingly, doesn't want to come to that feast. Paul shares with us this desire of God to bring us into the profound satisfactions in life when he prays in Ephesians 3.19 that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. What would the result of that be? But satisfaction, and delight, enjoyment, and wonder. Actually, after Paul prays that, he goes on to speak of God. Of Ephesians chapter 3. He speaks of God as the one who is able to give us exceedingly, I love it in the old King James, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. That is, that he gives us not simply what we ask, but he gives all that we ask, not all that we ask, above all that we ask, not above all that we ask, abundantly, above all that we ask. No, not even there. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask. That's God's disposition. That's God's desire. Even this life at times to teach us faith, He just gives us a measure. He just gives us exactly what we ask for. But all of it to teach us to look to Him and tune our hearts to Him because He's planning, He's designing an outflow of benefit and blessing to enrich our lives that could only be experienced and only be enjoyed if the venue for the enjoyment was eternity. Eternity. It's so good. It's so wonderful. This is what God offers us. The opportunity of unending, everlasting, feasting, where we banquet on His own goodness. And I would have you see this as well, that what God is offering us is not something apart from Himself, but it is essentially Himself. If you are right now starved for love, He has all of His love to give you. If what you long for at this moment in your life is a touch of beauty, He will fill the table of His presence and His fellowship with you with markings of His beauty and His creative power, and He'll surround you with them. If what you want is peace and stillness, He'll give it to you, but He'll not give it to you in emptiness. He'll give you peace and stillness in a satisfying fullness. If it's comfort that you need, you can rest in Him, and you can rest yourself on Him as you dine on Him. Think of the Lord Jesus who in the Last Supper had John resting upon his chest as they ate that meal together. There was feasting and resting at the exact same time. He offers it to you. 
If he wants something to excite you and thrill you, he'll lead you from his table into adventures of great things to be done and discovered for his glory alone. All of this is there, all of it for you, in order that you might delight and satisfy yourself in him. And so here it is. The overarching idea of the Christian life is a glad feast. Not a sad fast, a glad feast. That's the definitive expression. That's the height that God is leading us to as we learn to follow Him and we give our lives to Him. The one who answers God's invite and turns to Him and receives Him and repents and believes in Him should begin at that moment to live a life that begins to manifest this great privilege. By the way, there's been an emphasis ever since I can remember in certain circles within the Christian community that we want to attract people to the Lord Jesus by showing them what a wonderful time we're having. And let me just encourage you not to do that. Don't think of your life as an advertisement trying to attract people to the Lord Jesus. Here's a better thing, a better idea. Be attracted to Him yourself. Be attracted to Him. Go to Him to enjoy Him. Go to Him to experience all that He wants to give you of Himself. If you'll do that, your life will become an unplanned advertisement saying to everyone else, come to this feast. Come eat and dine here. I found the secret. I know the secret. It's fullness that comes from Jesus Christ alone. Just focus on Him. Just rest in Him. Having said all that, by the way, I think we have to acknowledge, only fairly to acknowledge, and also because this might be where you found yourself, even in this past week, that our lives bring us into tribulations and testings and trials. And I think all of us can say that life isn't always a party. Sometimes it's just a big pain right? But these bleak moments and these challenging moments for the child of God are not to be normative. And they come to us only by God's sovereign hand in order that we might appreciate all the more the feast that God is extending to us of himself. And to discover That even in times of difficulty and challenge, and even in times in which we experience spiritual barrenness, God in His faithfulness renews Himself to us to extend to us some morsel, some expression of the blessing that's to be found at His rich table. And in those moments, God is teaching us by faith that we still may receive and enjoy Him. And so although the circumstances might not dictate that life is a party in that moment, we discover that life is still full of enjoyments in Him. Our lives, as an overarching statement to the world around us, are not to be declarations of drudgery and labor and exhaustion and monotony and boredom. A Christian should never be somebody whose the perpetual life is bored. And he shouldn't be somebody who's constantly looking for the next adventure external from Christ himself to keep themselves interested and engaged in the world. We're supposed to be engaged in Christ and enjoying him and experiencing him. And their life becomes an expression of that. The person who finds themselves 
oftentimes bored and oftentimes empty and needing to create a new environment and a new circumstance to make themselves feel good is somebody who's demonstrating that they're constantly looking away from God to little baubles in the world to fascinate themselves. It's not intended to be the place. It's not intended to be our life. It's not to be the experience. It's not why God has come. It's not why He gives us His Spirit. It's not why He dwells within us. He dwells within us to bring us the satisfaction of His own life. Now, again, I know that the Christian life can be difficult at times, and so we have songs that reflect that, and we sing those songs. I've mentioned this song on a number of different occasions to friends. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it in a sermon before, but there's a song that, for whatever reason, there's a lot of wonderful truth in it, but I get hung up on the title. The song is Hold the Fort. Hold the Fort. I don't know, but somehow that doesn't seem to me to signal the basic experience of the Christian life. I actually thought that maybe I wasn't giving fair play to the song. So this week I went back and I read all the words in it, and the words are quite wonderful. The picture here is of an individual who's caught up in the battle, the spiritual warfare of this life, and he seems to be succumbing to the enemy's attacks, but he needs to remember and know that Jesus Christ is returning, and he's coming, and he's going to come with victory, and he's going to throw off our enemies, and so hang on, and hold the fort, and You know, I think there are different times in our life where that kind of message is particularly apropos. Just be faithful. Just endure. Christ will come at the right hour. He'll bring His deliverance. Hold the fort. But I also think for every song that we sing that's a hold the fort song, we need to come up with some songs that are like, pass the drumstick, you know? (laughs) Come to the table. It's set. Dinner's on. Feast up. Enjoy seconds. There's more. There's more. Come. There's more. I had a wonderful Italian grandmother, and she sang the song over you as you were dining at her table. She would watch your plate and see if you were missing something on the plate that you should be enjoying. And she would say, try a little bit of that. You know, try a little bit of this. Oh, try some more of that. Dear, you need to eat more of that. And she she didn't sit with you. She hovered over you as you ate, directing you to the places on the table where there was more to feast upon. And that's what God is doing. God is calling us to enjoy Him and experience Him in all these things. This is God's stated purpose. He calls people to a feast. And He offers Himself as the main course Come, devour all of my goodness and all of myself. And because that's true and because that's been God's design, and if you read the history of Israel, you'll see behind it this was God's design all along. Oh, that they had a heart in them to obey me and keep my commandments always. Then it would go well with them and with their children forever. It's God's longing. It's the solicitous desire of God to bless. And here's the amazing thing. In the face of this design of the king to feed his people, the amazing thing is that the people refuse the king's invitation. You see that in verses 6 and 7. Man has rejected the invitation of God to partake in the royal wedding feast of his son. You know, in ancient times, if you had received an invitation to come to the king's feast and you didn't come, that was tantamount to a declaration of war. That was an expression of supreme rebellion. I got news for you. It still is. When God calls you to come and feast on Him and enjoy Himself and you turn away, it is an obstinate 
expression of your rebellion. It is the most complete expression of the enmity that's in your heart. And rejecting Him and refusing Him. If you look at this passage in verse 5, you'll see that there's a response of lightness that's taken to the invitation. There's a, an expression to the invitation of a frivolousness. And then in verse 6, you'll see that there's a violence expressed to the invitation. The invitation is expressed with and treated with ferocity. Frivolousness and ferocity. And actually, these responses usually follow one after another. First, a person shrugs off God's invitation to himself in order to pursue the things that they think hold a greater interest and greater value to themselves. They'll consider that maybe I'll turn to God at another time. You know, maybe I'll turn when I'm on my deathbed and I've satisfied all my earthly pursuits. Maybe I'll, I'll turn to Him at that moment in time when I'm through seeking my own life. I'm through pursuing my career. I'm done with my efforts at starting a family. When I've walked through these different areas of life, then I'll turn to Him. Or maybe I'll turn to Him at that point in time. After that point in time, I'll, I'll seek Him when I'm starting to raise a family. I'll seek Him when I'm, I'm beginning my career and I'm making those serious choices in my life. I'll seek Him when I come to the point of retirement in my life and I have more time for Him. I'll seek Him when I start to get a little sick and a little closer to eternity. They make light of it. It's something I can put off. And what they don't realize is that they're shrugging off God's call. And it's a great offense to Him. Your delay is not a search for the right time. It's a defiance of a good God. You need to repent and come to His feast. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.